What about not being healed from a relationship and going into another relationship? Should the focus be on working on yourself until you've healed? Well, look, I think it's not possible to to fully heal from a past relationship without having new relationship. And it doesn't have to be romantic relationships. We heal relationally, right? Because if we've had trust broken or if we felt betrayed or if we've lost hope, how are we going to heal that on our own. Like we need connection so that we can remind ourselves and reaffirm that love is safe, that connection is safe. We we really do require relationship as human beings. Most of us enter into relationships with unhealed stuff from the past. Like I've not yet met a person who doesn't have something that they that isn't quite resolved. Um painful experience or memory that might be lingering underneath the surface or that might be causing some hesitancy to let go. And that's just the nature of being human and taking leaps and, you know, experimenting in love. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Pretty Intense Podcast. Thank you so much for coming. Uh, You're in for a treat today. A lovely, delicate, sweet, and important treat of Shalina Ayana. She is a spiritual counselor. She has an incredible account on Instagram uh, that is called Rising Woman. And uh, she just wrote a book, her first book called Becoming the One. I don't think there could be probably a more important message and lesson for everyone to step into and embody. And that's that you're not trying to find the person that's going to complete you. You're going to learn how to complete yourself and you're going to become the one that you're always seeking. And it doesn't mean that we aren't in community. It doesn't mean that we don't have helping hands along the way. It doesn't mean that we don't um, work through things with people at times, but we learn how to become secure in ourselves so that we create secure attachment in relationships. So we talked about just, you know, what does an ideal world look like too? What, what would, what is all of this what is everything going on in the world? What is the best case scenario for that? And what would an ideal reality look like? And, you know, I think there should be some emphasis put on community and coming together and just how we can really expand when we're together versus separate and apart. It was an incredible conversation. She is so lovely. So make sure you pick up her book, Becoming the One. If you like this episode, please hit subscribe. It shows us that you appreciate our content and what's being put out there. And let us know in the comments uh, what you think, how you've become the one, perhaps. Hi. How are you? I'm bummed this can't be in person like last time. I know it was kind of nice. I was, I remember I was driving home from Esalen last time we saw each other and we got to do it in person, but Zoom will have to do. Right. Esalen, that place, that place has been around for a really long time, right? Yeah. It's so magical. It's, it's a very rare, unique energy that they have going on there for sure. Have you been back since then? Cause that was probably oh. like three, two and a half years ago. Two and a yeah, half it was years about, ago. yeah. It was about two and a half years ago. It was right actually before COVID hit. Yeah. So, yeah. No, we didn't go back. Um, I'd love to though. I would love to go back and do workshops there. And I'd also love to facilitate workshops there. It's got such a beautiful energy. Um, the hot springs at night are mind blowing. You can just be naked and yeah, you can just be naked and you can just walk down. And I felt like I was in some ancient like cathedral castle or something, everything of these long cement pillars and you're overlooking the ocean. And wow. How are you and Ben? We're great. Yeah, we're good. We are, um, very busy. We've been tending to our 10 acres over the last year and doing a lot of projects on the land. And does it feel like therapy to you in some way, or is it just something you enjoy doing? I mean, both nature is therapy. Definitely. It feels like every day we wake up and we just look at each other and go, is this real? Like we live here, this is our life. It's just so nice. You know, we're, we're tucked into the woods. Um, and we have a lot of people who come and visit a lot. We have a lot of people who come and do work parties with us and help out. And it just feels really good. We're just always doing stuff outside and having fires at night. It feels like we're camping, but we have beds to go to, (laughs) which is kind of my ideal life. So, right. I I can't, I mean, I kind of have this idea, like I'd really love to go camping, camping and, but you know, only for maybe two nights, like there's only so much time that you like have to, you know, go without a shower and have a real bathroom and a pill, like a comfortable, 
you know, temperature controlled environment. Um, but I, I mean, I laugh, my racing career felt like high-end camping because there was yeah. a bus, but you'd be, you'd be on in all these different locations, unfortunately not in nature necessarily in the middle of a racetrack, but I kind of know that sort of like pseudo camping life. Yeah. I feel like that would feel really stressful for me to be like camping on a racetrack. <laughs> <laughs> A little concrete jungle. Yeah, you should try the forest instead. It's much better and you can bathe in the creek or like a lake. And there's a place nearby um, here. It's about three hours we drive to. It's kind of out. There's not anything around. There's just ocean. And then there's this little creek type river that runs through the land. And then it goes into the ocean and it's very cold. But we'll go camp out there for a few nights. Yeah. And there's nothing out there uh, and you just go and get naked and bathe in the Creek every day. And are you in Canada or are you in? Yeah, we're in BC. Okay. Yeah. 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 Oh, dude, it's sort was... of like the ideal place to be a nature person. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, even Paul Stamets would say the same thing. He bought property in BC and like has all of his mushrooms and like test things and has a bunch of property and Canada's stunning. I actually was just in Montreal, which I know is not like BC and it's not nature necessarily, but Canada is really pretty. Yeah. You should come visit. I've never been to Montreal, which is funny. People would think that, you know, Canadians have been all of the places, but <laughs> I haven't actually seen most of Canada because when we travel, we obviously we go elsewhere. So I haven't really seen much of it, but yeah, you should come visit. You, you'd have fun. I will. And, or come to, or do a workshop. I mean, how would that work? Because you and Ben do such similar work. Like what does a workshop look like for you guys? If you were, do you do them, do you do them together? Yeah. We haven't done any actually in person together, um, that I can recall. Uh, we have a, a program called creating conscious love, which is, an online program. So we're not actually working directly with you. Mm -hmm. uh, so we created that. We actually created that at the beginning of the pandemic when we were like, okay, well, what should we do? Let's create this program together. Um, but for the most part, he does a lot of men's work and he runs men's groups and does retreats. So he goes off and does that all over the place. Mm -hmm. uh, those are in person and I am only online at this point. So I don't actually do many workshops. I do a lot of um, digital programs. Warm summer days are here, which means soaking up the sun, swimming, and eating outside on the patio. It also means making time for fresh air and fresh ingredients, like fresh Haas avocados used in Good Foods chunky guacamole, or the produce packed into Good Foods plant-based dips like the queso and spicy queso blanco, or fresh cucumber in the refreshing tzatziki dip. So you dive into fresh flavor with every bite. Good Foods dips and guacs pair perfectly with fresh veggies, but they can add flavor to all your favorite summer meals, like queso dip with a grilled burger, or tzatziki dip with chicken kebabs, or buffalo dip with grilled shrimp. Summer grilling is a breeze with Good Foods dips. Find it at your local grocery store or goodfoods.com and dip into summer with Good Foods. I've done one. Yeah. And then I've, I've got some, you know, live events that I do every once in a while through other platforms, but I do feel the call over the next couple of years. Now that the world is opening up to do a live event, but we'll just have to see how that goes. There's so much healing on so many different levels happening, um, in the world. And one of the big ones obviously is sort of, you know, how you show up for yourself in your life and, and, and how that, how relationships are such a magnifying glass for that. And that's why I think this book is so brilliant. I've said, you know, talked to a few people about it and, and especially about talking to you and they're like, man, I need to read that book. <laughs> so, um, I would imagine that on top of doing the digital stuff you've been doing and taking care of the lands, like writing a book is like such a big project. And, um, Okay. So tell me like becoming the one is your book. Tell me about it. Was it intentional or did it feel like you had to write this book? Like what was the birth of this? Yeah. When I, <clears throat> excuse me, when I first was approached, I was approached by so many publishers and it felt like a sign for me that it was time because I've always wanted to write a book and I've always been a writer 
put it, you know, when do you have the time to write a book? It's like, oh. when do you have time to have a baby? Like, it's the same. You, you, there's no right time, you know, because you, you just have to do it. I just decided, okay, I'm going to do this now. If just something felt right. And I began kind of flailing, actually. Like, I, I got a book deal and it was, everything was just so easy. It almost like fell into my lap. But then I felt really confronted with my own self-doubt and I had a lot of resistance and I just had to work through that for a while. And then eventually uh, Ben and I, we went to Hawaii and we stayed there for the winter. And I remember just sitting on the couch and being like, I can't do this. I'm going to quit. I'm just going to give my advance back. I'm not a writer. Like I was really hitting a wall and I was crying and he just sat with me and held space and was like, okay, well, if that's what you need to do. And normally he would push me, but he just didn't. And then he held space for me to do breath work. And that day I sort of just moved through it. And then I began writing and I wrote the whole first manuscript in four months. And then we spent about a year editing and, and teasing it out and adding essence and all of that. And so it was an interesting journey because I saw a block that I didn't know was there in me. And so I had to work through that. And I think that's the beauty of doing things that challenge us and that push us, push us to our edge. Mm. Right. Because so often you hear like, you know, you're going to hit resistance when you're on the precipice of doing something big. Um, and sometimes it's so deeply unconscious that you don't even know it's there. So I had this really cool opportunity to, to get to the edge of quitting and then to to move forward and to do it and and by the end of it i fell in love with the process of writing this book i felt like i was deeply connecting with the people reading it i was infusing essence in every page mm. and it just felt so medicinal to work with it um and at the end i i wrote you know an outline for another manuscript because i was just like this is what i love like i want to write books this is what i want to wow. do uh, but it was, yeah, it was a really enlightening process for me. And I really could not have done it without my team. Like they pretty much handled everything for a year so that I could just write the book because at first I was like, oh, I'll just write the book and do all the other things. In the heart of Napa Valley lays Somnium, which means to dream in Latin. The Somnium Vineyard Estate is an extension of the love and intensity that I pour into everything I do. To experience our wines, visit SomniumWine.com and use the code SOMNIUM to receive a $10 flat shipping rate. Please drink responsibly. No, <laughs> you need to just go in and time time jobs. <laughs> no, it's really an intense process. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I would be up all night sometimes, you know, there were many, many nights where I was not going to bed with Ben. I was staying up by the fire and editing all night long. Um, because that's when it felt the most alive in me. And so, yeah, he really went through that journey with me too. <laughs> I bet. Yeah. Healing is, I've found to be very hard and it feels, it feels, um, there's a lot of pain, um, yeah. crying, confusion, um, frustration, lost, um, all kinds of things. I wonder if we have to go through the fire to come out the other side. And so you're talking about writing a book to help people become the one in their relationship to write a book. And you, you had to go through your own fire to do that. And I, and I really wonder, are there any shortcuts? Yeah. Is there anywhere that we can heal, grow and evolve without having to go through the fire? Well, look, I think there is a bit of a yes. And to that, for sure, most of the time, growth comes through challenge, right? Right, and and that's why relationships are our greatest spiritual growth container. But they're also the hardest, right? So, like, if you go be a monk or a nun, like, it's probably easier to become enlightened because you don't have to deal with any interpersonal drama, right? You can get there, and you can have growth experiences. And it can be gentler if you have guidance, if you have, you know, a core connection to self, mm -hmm. if you have people that you can trust who can guide you. And sometimes it really is just going to be hard and painful and stinky. Embracing that is part of the medicine to life. Remembering that it's actually not, it's not a bad thing. 
And it's actually, even though it feels uncomfortable to get messy, you know, Mm -hmm. to to lay it all out on the table, it's actually a gift because we're sort of de-armoring in those moments. We're really letting what's true come through. And we're also letting the people closest to us see us, you know, Mm -hmm. and, and be there. So, you know, in my case, like going through the fire, it was really hard, but it also created a lot of intimacy in my partnership. You know, Ben had an opportunity to support me and see a tenderness in me. You know, he said, I've never seen you in self-doubt like that. Like it's because it that's not really my default, you know, like I'm typically quite confident. I just trust what I'm doing. I know that I can do it. I believe in myself. And so when this all came out, it was very new and he got to see this tender part of me that he had never met too. And so sometimes if we can just look at it as a gift and an opportunity for connection, then it can sort of take the pressure off of it being this like really gross, ugly thing that, you know, we want to sort of skip. Now it gets a lot harder when we are in denial, when we're in resistance or when we're not open to letting other people in to support us or where we are just sort of living completely out of alignment Mm. And the fire gets hotter and hotter, right? Because the message isn't getting through. (laughs) So we're just going to be keep thrashing around. And so that's why I created Mm -hmm. this book. And that's why I created my programs too. It's not that you're not going to still have to walk through the fire, but I can walk through it with you. Mm -hmm. And perhaps some of the things that I share or some of the tools can help lighten the load a little bit, because that's really all that we need, right? We need those friends to walk with us. To not, not only not feel alone in the process, but <clears throat> also not feel alone in the pain of like the magnitude of the pain. Cause I think what happens is, is that it gets difficult for people and then they turn away because they think it sh- they shouldn't have to deal with something that bad. They shouldn't feel that way. Like, oh, this must be wrong because I feel so terrible. The feeling is to go back because it's safer and it's more comfortable and it doesn't feel this bad and bad must be bad. What would you say to someone that was in that space where they feel super lost or they feel very confused or they feel really sad? Like, what would you what would you say to them in that in that moment where they might be willing to go backwards. Yeah. I mean, I can, I can really relate to that. First of all, like I really empathize with that experience because I've been in those states where I'm in so much pain that Mm -hmm. I would rather go back to the comfort zone, even though I was miserable there. Right. Like I, I felt that way many, many years ago when I was in my own dark night of the soul, that is really what this book is a result of, right? Is all of that healing journey and, and and the stuff that I went through to get here. And so I can remember being in so much pain that I I thought I might not make it through. And it's really hard to tell yourself that this makes sense or that this is right. And you know, I I don't believe that, you know, the saying like, you know, everything happens for a reason and like it's perfect. Like sometimes that's really not going to resonate when there's like a serious tragedy or a serious loss that you just can't make sense of. Right. And you're here now, like, this is what's happening. You know, whatever has happened has happened. And so you can't take it back. You're here. And so your only choice is to turn backward and perhaps collapse into yourself or to expand and to just keep going. And even if that's really slow and gentle, which it should be, you know, you can just keep unfolding. And eventually you see the light. It's not this like forever dark tunnel. I always say pain is a passage, not a prison. Like you're not going to get stuck there. And I think one of the things that we fear the most when we are in pain is that if we let ourselves fully surrender to this pain, that we might get stuck there or that we might get so deep that we'll be locked in this depression forever. And I mean, gosh, I can relate to that, you know? And so it's scary to let go because we don't want to lose ourselves, but there is a bit of an ego death happening in these moments too, right? It's like, can we let it go? Can we just surrender to this? Can we let ourselves feel it? What's behind that? And we really can shed a lot of layers in those times of despair. And if we can call on those few people who we love and trust, who can hold us through, and if we can seek solace in the elements and in nature and find ways to connect, then we can feel a little more safe in the process. Are there some sort of signs of the ego, like when it's coming in 
and what it, what it acts like, what does Mm -hmm. the ego sound like? How does it treat you? How does it treat the situation so that people can be able to decipher between, um, something outside of themselves, like something within them, but something that is also holding them back that they need to, um, make a new piece with. Yeah. What I, I relate to the ego in my book is this sort of guard dog, but the guard dog is not exactly protecting you against the right things. It's sort of just defending you against everything. And that's sort of the ego's job is to be right. And to be, to be alive, just to survive. It's a survival mechanism. Right. And so when we are in denial, when we're in resistance, when we are convinced that there's nothing, this has nothing to do with us. And this is all about other people, or there's nothing here for us to learn. And that, you know, this is someone else's fault. Sometimes that's the ego poking its head in and, and trying to, to guard us from the vulnerability of looking at our own shadow or looking at our own role in the breakdown of the relationship that we were in, taking a look at our patterns and what they represent for us or what healing work there is to do or what wound is being opened. We can sort of recognize that and say, okay, I see you know, you're here to protect me. And it's actually safe to go there. I'm going to go there and we're going to be okay. And just slowly make your way through that defensive armor and take a look at, you know, what is the medicine here for me? And what am I here to learn? And what's my role in all of this? And it's tough to take responsibility for our patterns and for the things that have gone wrong in our lives but it's also the most empowering thing to do ever because as long as it's everybody else's fault, that means we have no power. We're helpless. Like everybody else is in charge. They're running the show. But when we step back and we say, Oh, actually I do play a crucial role in my story and I'm not responsible for the actions or the behaviors of other people or how they chose to show up or respond, but I am responsible for me and what I've said yes to and what I've engaged in and how I've shown up and how I've communicated where I've sort of fallen off track. Then we can start to do the work of taking our power back mm-hmm. and it can be confronting because when we go through those, those passages, we might feel overwhelmed with guilt or what if, like, what if I had done this differently? Oh, I wish I hadn't known this before. Why did it take me, you know, until I was 40 or 50 or 70 to learn this? You know, if only I had done X, Y, Z, then I would have, you know, had the relationship, kept my marriage, not done that thing. But, you know, we're all just, we're all just walking the path in accordance to our own timeline and we don't get to control it. And so I just say, you know, it's never too late. Don't make yourself feel bad. Some people never get this opportunity to wake up. And so if you're in that now, it's a gift, you know, and just really try to be gentle with yourself because I see a lot of people in that where they're, they're waking up and they're having these deep realizations that are going to for sure make their life better because they're aware. And yet they're so focused on the fact that it took them so long to get there or, you know, wishing they could, you know, rewind and do things differently. And I mean, that's a trap. (laughs) I feel like when people wake up that they feel like, oh man, this is the worst. This is hard. This is, it's making things difficult. When will this be over? And I'm like, you know, Mm -hmm. they feel like they're just starting. I think is the general feeling that I get from people when they get there is that they feel like they're just starting. And I'm like, you have no idea how far you are. You've spent your whole life in a prison of your mind of thinking it's everybody else's fault. And when you start waking up to the reality that you are everywhere you go right there and you have your own patterns, you're actually so much further along in the process than, uh, than you realize. Yeah, it's so true. Sometimes, you know, I, I do these group coaching calls every once in a while for participants of my becoming the one, my program. And I get people who come on and they're, they're revealing these really honest and tender parts of themselves. And they're owning the ways that they have sabotaged their love lives or that they've fallen out of alignment or the ways that they're responsible for pushing people away. And they're just so honest and it's breathtaking to witness. And then, and then they go into this self-doubt. I should have known this, you know, why didn't I know this sooner? And I'm just like, I don't think you realize how profound it is that you even are willing to own 
this about yourself and that you see it because you're for sure going to be a better person in relationship next time. Like the way that you show up is going to be so much more loving and connected to self because you're willing to own this. And that's all we can ask for. Right. And so I really do think we can get caught in this trap of like never being enough and never having it right and not being perfectly healed, which is never going to happen. We're never going to be perfect. It's as soon as you feel like you have, you know, healed something, then you're going to enter into a relationship or your relationship is going to evolve and it's going to bring new things because that's just the nature of life. And that's like the cycle yeah. of nature too. It's to bring change, right? With the, As the seasons change, you get new challenges. You know, in the summer you're, you're faced with, you know, how do I keep my plants from burning and how do I, you know, keep everything watered and nobody's overheating. And then, and then, you know, right when you get that figured out, then you move into winter and all of a sudden it's like, how do I, you know, prevent my, you know, everything from freezing and, you know, how do I keep the water flowing? And so that's nature and and that's what we are. Right. So it's like, we're expecting things to one day just fall into place and everything's easy because we've done our work Um, and things do get easier for sure. They get way more pleasurable. They feel way more harmonious. Big things don't, you know, small things don't feel like big things anymore, Yeah. Um, but there's still going to be challenges along the way. And it's just, we learn how to work with them through working with our own minds and our own nervous systems. I'm curious about the healed part. You know, there's an idea that we need to come into a relationship when we've like found ourselves and we're a healed person. And um, as you said, so simply it's, we'll never be perfect. What about not being healed from a relationship and going into another relationship? Even if that relationship isn't the self, it's someone else. Is that a space that you can enter a new relationship in? Uh, or should the focus be on working on yourself until you've healed from that relationship? Well, look, I think it's not possible to, to fully heal from a past relationship without having new relationships. And it doesn't have to be romantic relationships, but it it can even be friendships, but like we heal relationally, right? Because if we've had trust broken or if we felt betrayed, or if we've lost hope, how are we going to heal that? on our own. Like we need connection. We need other people so that we can remind ourselves and reaffirm that love is safe, that connection is safe. We can practice communicating in a new way. we, We really do require relationship as human beings to evolve and heal our relational challenges. So that's the, you know, that's the difference. If you want to go and be a monk and meditate on top of a mountain and not do relationship, then, then sure. But if you're going to do relationship work, you need to be in relationship. Yeah. And also the thing is, is like most of us enter into relationships with unhealed stuff from the past. Like I've not yet met a person who doesn't have something that they, that isn't quite resolved or like some painful experience or memory that might be lingering underneath the surface or that might be causing some hesitancy to let go or, you know, some time that they felt betrayed or hurt. And that's just the nature of being human and taking, taking leaps and, you know, experimenting in love. So yeah, I mean, I would say don't rush into a relationship when you're feeling desperate Like if you've just gotten out of a relationship and you're desperate not to be alone and you're in this panic because you need somebody, that's a, that's a red flag because the chances are you're not going to attract somebody who is super safe, Hmm. right? Cause you're going to be attracting just anyone, you know, you'll just say yes to anyone. You won't have the confidence or the core to, to qualify, but I, I I don't recommend waiting until you've got it all figured out to find a partner because you'll be alone forever. <laughs> Thank God. Um, yeah. What if we see someone outside of ourselves, a couple outside of ourselves, and we're really close to someone and we can see that it's unhealthy? How do we address that? Yeah, I mean, it, it depends. Like, is it an abusive situation where your friend is in trouble and you actually need to support them in, in getting safe? Or are they just living out their human patterns and figuring things out? You can be a sounding board and you can support them and you can make reflections. But what I've learned along the way is that even when I see that things are not going to work or when I see a, a couple that, you know, they're obviously not bringing what, 
what it takes to the table to make it work. There's something that they have to learn in that relationship before they're ready to let go. And, you know, I've seen this many times where it's so obvious to me that this person is not with the right partner and the relationship is clearly not good for them. And they even know it on some level and yet they keep it going for a few years. And, but then when they come out of it, it's like, that pattern really sunk in for them. They really saw it clearly. And it's like they needed to be in that long enough to really see it. Yeah. And so we have to let go and just let people have their path. Cause I know for myself, even I've been in a relationship like that where I've written about it in this book where I, for years, didn't even feel attracted to this person, but something kept me in that relationship. And that was because it was such a karmic relationship for me to see all of my patterns clearly the way that it erupted. Mm -hmm. And so as painful as it was, I wouldn't change it. I wouldn't take it back. And we just have to remember, you know, everybody's learning and all we can do is love them. Yeah. And that you have to like, it's back to the fire, right? It's, it's just that you hadn't felt enough fire to really alchemize a pattern that was unhealthy. Let's talk about compatibility. I'm very fascinated with compatibility. <laughs> My sister's laughing at me the other day. She's like, you've dated so many different kinds of guys. He's like, whether they look different, act different, like they're so different. And I have a lot of curiosity around compatibility mm -hmm. and, um, and, uh, and what, what compatibility really looks like in a relationship. And maybe also additionally from, um, an attachment style perspective, even mm -hmm. attachment style is funny because <laughs> if we're more anxious, we're definitely going to attract someone who's more avoidant, you know, it's just like, anything about that. What do you mean? <laughs> I know it's so funny. I'm just like, okay, you have to just surrender here. Like if you are an anxious person right now, like if that's your pattern, you are most likely going to end up with someone who is typically avoidant. Now that's fine. Actually, there's degrees of attachment, you know, styles, right? Some people are really far on the end of the spectrum where they're completely avoidant. Like they're just going to ghost you and not, not show up. But, you know, everybody has some level of ambivalence or avoidance or whatever it may be, you know, and then, you know, of course, there's people who are just secure in pretty much every single couple and person that I have ever seen or worked with, including my own relationship with my husband. There has been some level of attachment to be repaired. You know, there's some level of repair that's needed. Mm -hmm. And so. I don't really resonate with this idea that you need to go out and find somebody who's secure. <laughs> See, there's your attachment right there. <laughs> you're codependent, Sonny. You're definitely a codependent. Yeah. You're definitely codependent. <laughs> I love him. How cute's that? His name best. is Sonny too. Dogs, they're the best. Right. They can be, I actually made that joke before. I'm like, hey. I'm recovering codependent, but I'm like, I just couldn't let my last little bits. I'm just going to leave it with me and my dog, Ella. Yeah. Ella loves it. I love it. What about like when you go deeper beyond the attachment style into compatibility, how can, what are the signs that someone is right for you? And like, there's chemistry, but then there's also the compatibility element. And um, I'm just very curious as I'm not sure I've executed that correctly. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, it's going to be different for everybody. Like what are your values and, you know, really integrating the attachment style thing. The one, the one difference between somebody who isn't going to be a match for you and is, is not whether or not they're avoidant or anxious is whether or not they're aware and are they actually willing to lean into it? Like, are they actually willing to work with you? Like, do they want to repair that in themselves? You know, cause yeah everybody's got something going on. And so if we're looking for that perfect person out there who doesn't have any stuff, we're going to be, again, we're going to be alone forever. So it's really checking for readiness. Like what's your readiness score to do this? You know, like, do you want intimate connection? Like, do you want to move through that resistance and that avoidance or that anxiety where you actually can get to wholeness and, and secure connection? And, and if the answer is yes, then, you know, you've got a recipe for creating conscious love together. Yeah. Um, and that's why Ben and I named our course that because we were like, it's about co-creation, really. And, you know, compatibility is this really interesting thing because we're all so unique, but it's what works for you based on what you value. So I have a whole process in my book around core values. 
because really core values are the things that matter most to us that we sort of build our life around, that we design our life around either consciously or unconsciously. And we select people based on those values. Hmm. But if we've prioritized just one or two of those values, like maybe we really value sexual intimacy and passion. And we have all of these other values as well, like integrity, honesty, respect, you know, reliability, but we overemphasize the sexual chemistry and the, and the passion. Hmm. You know, then we're disregarding some of those other values and and then the compatibility isn't there because they don't actually have those other things. And so I take people through this process of evaluating what's really important to you. You know, what are the nice to haves and what are the things that you absolutely need? And then you can qualify, you know, where do you stand on this? What is your view of relationship? Do we have the same ideas of what a relationship looks like and what it should look like? Do we have the same ideas about conflict? Because mm-hmm. like one of the things that can be an incompatibility is that a person believes that conflict is bad and that it shouldn't exist in a relationship. And that if there's conflict, you have to break up. And I see this actually quite often where one person is like, I'm down to work through conflict with my partner, but my partner thinks that because we have conflict, that's a deal breaker, that's like fine. that everything should be easy. They said everything should be easy to me. I've heard that so many times. And so getting to know where this person stands on those things, to me, that leads you to more compatibility because then you have the foundation to both live lives that are authentic to you and to connect on the important things. You know, you don't have to have a partner who does all the things with you, but like maybe, maybe you want somebody who will go camping with you, you know, and maybe you need somebody who is, uh, you know, into certain things, but do they have to be into all of the things? No, like we can't walk around with a little checklist and be like, oh, well, you're not into this, you know, hobby of mine. And so therefore, you know, see you later. They say that actually having some of your own unique interests that you don't do with your partner is actually really healthy. Mm -hmm. And why do they say that? Why is that important? Because we're individuals, you know, and like we attract people who are opposite to us and we attract people who bring uniqueness into our lives. Like we look for people who are different for us for a reason, even Mm -hmm. look at Look at your best friend. You know, I don't know who your best friend is, but are they different from you? Yep. I have basically most of my best friends are opposite of me, meaning they're very watery, emotional, empathic, sweet, listen, you know, and then I have a few that are just like me. It's wonderful, isn't it? You know, to have these differences and to have these opposite experiences with people. And because we get to... A, we get to experience some of that within ourselves. We draw people in because we are drawn to embodying that quality or that trait ourselves. It brings this medicine into our lives um, Mm. and we get to grow and they get to grow. And that's the beauty of being in partnership with people who are different too. It's a better team. Like I always give the example of, you know, in a company, you don't hire five CEOs. (laughs) Right because you don't need that. You need different people in different roles. So when you look at your relationship, when your partner is opposite to you and it's driving you crazy, you can ask yourself, what would happen if we joined forces and how would this make us the best team ever? You know, and, and Ben and I have found that synergy too. And like, we're very similar, but we're also very different. Mm -hmm. And we found a way to make that the best team. Yeah. You know, and even, you know, we see that working on our land projects and things, we both bring very different skills and very different mindsets. So it's such a gift once you learn how to step outside of this frame that everybody needs to be like you and start to appreciate the gifts they're bringing. Yeah. Well said. And I feel like that's sort of been described as, you know, there it's okay to be like someone when you want to go camping or do something like that. But when you both want to be in charge, you're kind of like looking at like a plug in two plugs instead of a plug in an outlet. Like it's never going to work when you're just the same in every single category that you should be different. And also maybe this is kind of where we could talk a little bit about the divine masculine and the divine feminine and, and how that, what those are articulated and, and how they express. Um, 
and um, and then how they just play into a relationship and how that sort of jigsaw puzzle fits together relationally. Well, we all, Im- I feel like we all embody those energies within ourselves. You know, you can call it yin and yang, solar and lunar energy. It's fire and water. It's There's these different polarities that we all have within us and we all hold different balances of those. And I don't really think that, you know, one person is holding one pole and the other person is holding one the other pole always. We're, we're fluid in that way that we can, you know, take turns and sometimes this person is leading and that person's leading and then we switch. Um, and there's this dance that's going on within ourselves and within a partnership all of the time. Mm-hmm. creating this this magical flow essentially between two people and within our own energies um and i have a, an interesting perspective on it because i think we can become very fixed on this idea that the feminine is very soft and flowy and you know wearing pretty dresses and surrender and then the masculine is like structure and you know direction and leadership and all of these things um, but I think we're all just a mix of both because, I mean, if you look at a mother in in nature, would you rather come across a, a, a male bear or a mother bear in nature? I'd rather come across a male bear. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> yes, because oh, yeah. a mother a mother bear will rip your throat out if you come near her babies, right? Like she is fierce. Okay. okay. You know, when I was you thinking go- about cuddling with the mother bear. So. Right. Well, I mean, that's, that's good. It's good, good association to mother. But the truth is, is like the mother is also very, very fierce and very protective and, and, and has fight and fire, you know, and that's this aspect of the feminine that isn't often talked about. It's sort of like all given like this, oh, but that's masculine. Right. And so sometimes I think it can be even helpful to step out of that framework a little bit into looking at in a more elemental fashion. Okay, so yeah. in my, in my book, I break it down in you know, fire, earth, air, and water and which elements are we embodying the most and which elements are we drawn to? Um, you know, and in my, in my partner, you know, he is, he is quite what most people would call masculine and very fiery and very directed, um, very focused, you know, and I can be that too, but I can also go into these other polarities quite easily and then I, I I can bring him into those places with me, you know, more into the water, very um, earthy as well. Um, and so I think it can be really beautiful to look at it from that perspective uh, instead of creating these, again, checklists of what is masculine, what is feminine, and then expecting our partner to fit that and trying to contort ourselves to be, uh, you know, more feminine in order to attract a masculine partner. Does that make sense? Sure. Yeah. And, and I'm, and I also get curious about just the, you know, the balance of it within. And so, you know, I think traditionally the, the, the female is more feminine dominant and the man is more masculine dominant. Um, and do they have to fit like that in a relationship or can you have two feminines, two, two masculines, like how does that go together? And Mm -hmm. I really always ask selfishly because I know that I have a lot of masculine energy and I know I have a lot of dominance, a lot of leadership, a lot of very direct. Um, and of course I have femininity in me too, but it doesn't, doesn't always be, it's not always the strongest. Mm -hmm. Um, but I don't also don't want a guy to be super feminine. Right. Mm -hmm. So like, how does that work in relate relationally? Yeah. Well, it doesn't matter if you're, you know, if you're two women in a relationship, two men in a relationship, man and a woman in relationship, what you'll notice is that there's always polarity. So there's always this opposite thing going on, right? There's these unique energies. There's the yin and yang. There's the feminine masculine. There's the Mm -hmm. solar and the lunar energy because we are wired to attract something that's different, you know? Mm -hmm. Uh, And I can relate to you. You know, I have a lot of fire as well. I think we're, we're similar in that way. I'm very much, you know, in a leadership position in my life. Uh, I know where I'm going and I find it really nice in my partnership to be able to kind of let go and let my partner sort of hold that pull for me sometimes. Yeah. And it's, it's not forced, you know, it's not inauthentic. I'm not like, Oh, I'm going to pretend to not know things so that you can feel powerful. I, I just genuinely see how his mind works differently than mine. And he has a certain 
way of doing things that I wouldn't have thought of because I approach most things from feeling and how they look and feel. And he approaches most things from if they make sense and if they work efficiently, (laughs) you know? And so it's just this thing where, you know, we have to learn where to utilize our energy and how. So for example, with Ben and I, we're both strong leaders. We both have strong minds. We both know who we are and what we want. And so what we found is that if we are both bringing that energy intensely, we can accidentally try to lead each other in ways that we don't need to be led. So we had to make an agreement. Like one of our wedding vows was that we would learn how to direct our leadership energy out into our communities together rather than toward each other so that, you know, we can sort of stay in our own lane, so to speak. Yeah. Because, you know, one of the things that's just natural for us is to just try to help each other do something or to tell each other, you know, how to do the thing or what to do next. And it's not that either of us thinks the other person is dumb or doesn't know how to do it. It's just so natural for us to lead. And so we have to catch ourselves and be like, right, yeah, you got it, you know. And and so then we we learn how to direct that energy when we're both in our fire and our leadership energy, you know, into something else like a project or our own businesses, you know, or our work. Yeah. Um, and then when we come together, we do naturally fall into a polarity where I tend to hold a, a different pole than he does. But then through that, we can actually bring each other into each other's worlds. And that's the point is not to like just hold the opposite, but it's actually to invite each other into these different energies and to be able to embody them together. And so I can bring him into a more feeling space, invite him into his heart, and we can drop into that space together. So it it is about us also being willing to explore in the emotional realms. Well, it sounds like vulnerability. Like it just to me, it sounds like you have to be vulnerable and, you know, maybe that's another kind of hot topic word where maybe give me your perspective on what vulnerability looks like. Well, there's, there's performative vulnerability that we see a lot on social media, right. Where we see I'm being vulnerable so that I can get likes. (laughs) Um, I'm being vulnerable so that I can, you know, just tell a story or I'm being vulnerable to really authentically share and reveal myself because this is what feels true for me. Now, are those first ones really vulnerability though? If they're done with an agenda, is that actually vulnerability? Well, that's the thing is a lot of times we think that it is and, and there it's not that it's completely authentic. You know, there's a lot of people who, you know, there is a performative aspect going on, but they're, they feel that they're being very vulnerable but the depth that they could go to perhaps if they were to, you know, keep that process sacred to themselves for a little longer and actually work with it or, you know, share it intimately with a friend or a partner behind closed doors rather than on social media would likely give them a deeper sense of connection and intimacy than what they're going to get when they, you know, do it online and they, they, you know, they have an emotional experience and then they instantly post about it or share about it. And I I talk about this a lot in my, my programs too, around the principle of containment and really knowing, you know, when it's time to share and when it's time to hold on to that. What does vulnerability feel like to you? Is there a visceral feeling? Is there a, a way to describe it? That's a really great question. Everybody will be, be different in how they feel it in their bodies. So you can sort of tune in when you're experiencing vulnerability and notice, you know, where in my body am I feeling this? Am I feeling open? Am I feeling light? Am I feeling tension? For some of us on the precipice of feeling vulnerability, we might actually feel afraid. Yeah. It's it's a big risk, right? To reveal ourselves. And so sometimes it's not going to feel relieving. It's going to feel almost like a holy shit what am i doing you know and and we might even have a feeling of a shield coming up or a defensiveness coming up and then we have to be with that and then slowly reveal and that's why you know sharing your vulnerability in safe places with people who you know you can trust is the best way to practice because it isn't easy when many of us have learned that our vulnerability will be used against us 
or our vulnerability wasn't well received, you know, or we, we were with people who were emotionally out of tune with us when we were young. And then it's, we've been trained to guard and to protect. So yeah, it can feel like a whole range of things, but ultimately one of the things that we don't expect is the vulnerability hangover, (laughs) which is we're first practicing vulnerability and we, and we reveal Mm -hmm. something really honest or really, you know, tender about ourselves we might feel the next day we might feel this vulnerability hangover where we're like oh gosh like why did i see that or you know we're we're second guessing ourselves and we're like oh i shouldn't have said that or maybe i should have kept that secret or you know and that's just like the natural process of learning how to to reveal ourselves and be more authentic in relationship yeah i have i have found that that for me vulnerability always does feel a little bit um, scary. Like you feel like, oh no, should I, shouldn't I, should I say this? Should I post this? Should I do that? And there, and I also, I don't know, this is a little bit of just like an offside thought, but I was, I feel like there's um, like in this world of energy that we all are and everything is, I feel like there's a, a frequency with vulnerability that resonates with people. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why it connects people. For sure. I mean, so many of us feel like we're alone in our process. What yeah. we're going through is really different than what anyone else is, on, is going through. And so we feel alone. And there's just something so nice about seeing other people be honest. Mm-hmm. You know, so as much as, as much as I say, you know, there's performative vulnerability. I'm not saying you should never post about what you're going through or your emotional process on social media. I'm simply saying, you know, do you need to share it right in the moment, right? Like when we share something immediately, we sort of, we deflate the energy and we sort of take away from getting that, that medicine that might be trying to happen within us. Mm -hmm. And so it's just about giving it time until there's not as much charge. And so that, you know, whether you receive positive or negative feedback, it doesn't actually impact you. If you share something when you're in a really vulnerable state and then people react negatively, Uh. it's actually not serving you in your growth. Uh, It's taking away from it. And so it's also a a way to Mm -hmm. honor your process. Um, And it's so beautiful when people are willing to show up. You know, I see this a lot in the motherhood space too, where, you know, moms come out and they share these really intimate, vulnerable parts of their reality. And it gives other people permission and it, it helps them know that, you know, that person isn't perfect and no, nobody's life is perfect. And actually my struggles are okay. And we all need that. And, and it's even more beautiful when it's happening in real life, in our communities, like on the ground. Is it possible to sort of articulate the steps in which you go about that process? Um, in uh, going about the process of healing your relationship yeah. patterns or. Yeah. And becoming the one, I mean, ultimately yeah. like that couldn't be, there couldn't be, what is it? Ram Dass says like the, the best work I can, I'm not going to get it right, but it's basically the best thing I can do for you is to work on me. And the best thing you can do for me is to work on you. Like it's not necessarily always about working together. It's about doing your own individual work to become the one. And, and, and so I'm just curious if there's a a path and, and steps in which people can, um, you know, get it in their head that there is a process to this. And what does it look like? Nobody that doesn't want to be the one, like you always, like if you were to say, Hey, would you like to outsource your happiness to someone else? And that sort of like comes and goes, or would you like to, would you like to be happy all the time? Pretty much. Mm -hmm. Yes. There'll be a few challenges along the way, but you'll always be able to rely on yourself. You don't have to, you don't have to worry about relying on someone else. I think everyone would want that. Mm -hmm. Everyone would want that stability within themselves. Yeah. And I, I mean, it's not even so much about not relying on people because you know, that's, we have to rely on people. Otherwise we won't survive. Like, I mean, mm-hmm. we could, but it won't be that enjoyable. Right. But it's about, do you feel whole and secure within yourself or do you need another person to come in and complete you? Because when you come a relationship from that perspective, as you were saying, it's like, how far can we really get? together when we're leeching energy off of each other instead of co-creating this reciprocal energy that fuels us to be of service in the world. So in the book, I just opened it up and, you know, in the contents, we break it down into five parts. So part one is reclaim your relationship to self. So we're working on really understanding our relationship to ourself, coming home to our body's wisdom, connecting with our inner child, 
And then in part two, it's all about healing your past. And so we're really looking at our abandonment wounding, our relationship to our mother, father, reclaiming divine mother and father energy and working through forgiveness on any unhealed relationships. And then there's part three, which is exploring your relationship patterns. And that's all about really getting clear on what are those patterns in you and where do they come from? What are the things that you're bringing into the equation and where have you ignored the signs of red flags in your life? Mm -hmm. And what do green flags even look like? What does a healthy relationship look like? Yeah. And then we move into part four, which is all about realigning to your truth. So that's where we look at our boundaries. That's where we look at our core values. That's where we learn to examine our expectations and, you know, what are the things that we expect from a relationship and what's healthy to actually expect versus what's a fantasy. Mm-hmm. Oh. And then part five is, you know, getting what you want in relationship. And that's where we talk about creating a conscious relationship and actually creating a love map based on everything that you've learned about yourself for what you want your relationships to look like and what you want your relationship to self to look like. And many people create these beautiful maps. Some of they're so creative. Um, they're very visual and people put them on their altars. Um, there's actually, a few, like you actually do a map yourself. Yeah. And, and there's a few examples huh. in the book and um, I think I'm going to put some online as well for people to see, but they're just, a culmination of the values and the traits and the qualities and the, in the, the ways of being that we want to see in our lives and in our relationships, um, all taken from what we've learned about ourselves along the way in the program. And, uh, and so it all kind of comes together in the end to give you a clear picture of, you know, what it is that you stand for. What's the point of a relationship? (laughs) What a great question. What do you, first, what do you think the point of relationship is? I think that when two people can be vulnerable and be honest and be themselves, I think that two is always better than one. And I think you can accomplish more. I think that if you can be yourself, you will then, um, I think your energies multiply Mm -hmm. and you can make a bigger impact and you can raise your frequency to the point where you feel more joy. It's easy enough to be loved when you're showing all the best stuff, but like the feeling of being loved when you show the worst stuff, there can't be a greater feeling that someone still chooses you. And someone is still, someone wants someone like that. That's willing to show up to do the work. Um, They almost love you more for the effort that you put into the work than it is when it's easy and good. Um, so I, I think that the point of relationships is to see yourself because we're always attracting that other person to mirror us. Um, we don't, I don't think that that's a common, common thing that people would know that, but I, I really feel that that's the truth of our, our whole reality is, um, to, to see us, to see ourselves. And Mm -hmm. there's nothing more intense than a relationship because it's so sensitive and personal. And we take offense to so much because it's really our most vulnerable place. Um, so it's like the biggest mirror and the most intense mirror. It's Mm -hmm. like a magnifying glass Mm -hmm. and, um, instead of a mirror. Yeah. So I think it's to, to see ourselves and then to then, um, and to, uh, then be able to expand that energy. I think on a macro level, if we could improve this balance of the, the masculine and feminine or men and women, or the, this sort of, um, even called patriarchal sort of, you know, history that we've been in or seemingly been in. I think that when each can recognize the other for the good, yeah, we just expand greatly. Absolutely. Yeah. I love everything that you said. And I really resonate with that. I think it's a really beautiful way to look at relationship. And I, I see it in a similar way, you know, relationship isn't there to make us whole or to complete us, but it is there to help us grow and to thrive, you know, and when two people come together from a place of wholeness and a willingness to, you know, like we said, navigate the hard times, but also really elevate each other's joy and celebrate each other. That can be a really beautiful thing. And in my book, I talk about the difference between a vacuum relationship and a power grid relationship. You think about a vacuum, like a vacuum just sucks everything up, right? It's like taking all the energy. And what if you vacuum spits something back out, you don't want it. So it just doesn't give back. That's the kind of relationship where all of the energy, it's all about taking and anything you do get back, you don't, 
you don't really want. But when you have a power grid relationship, when you're reciprocating and there's this energy redistribution between you and it's just constantly creating more energy because there's an abundance flowing between you, then all of a sudden you have energy to give outward to your communities, to your projects, to the things that you love. And you're making the world a better place because your home and your relationship is a safe and loving place to be. And we know that that is the foundation that we all need. And if we look at the reason why so much of our world is in chaos, and then we look at what those people's family lives were like, we learn that, you know, when we didn't feel loved or respected or seen or understood, it makes it very hard to be a healthy person as an adult. There's a lot for us to work through. And so if we can create that beauty and that paradise within our own homes, the world will be a better place. So, you know, relationships should be about co-creating joy and peace and happiness and love. And it requires work to get there. But, you know, once you do the work and you start to learn how to be whole in yourself and have confidence and trust yourself and trust the other person's intentions and trust in love, it doesn't always have to be hard and it doesn't have to be tumultuous. You'll go through a power struggle phase, but eventually you get to a place where things are mostly harmonious. Our world is in such chaos and there's such transition happening. There's so many things that have happened in the last couple of years. And maybe you could give me your perspective on, on sort of a macro perspective of what's happening on the planet. And then maybe like a best case scenario of our, of, of how we come out of this better, um, more harmonious, um, at a higher frequency and, um, leading to a better, better reality for all of us. Yeah. I mean, I don't have the answers, but what I do know is that right now we're in a heightened state of polarization where we are not listening to each other. We're not really accepting each other's differences. Mm -hmm. There is a lot of conflict and a lot of, you know, needing to be right and holding on to a position about what we believe to be true. Mm -hmm. And Differences are what make the world go round. And if we could really see through different lenses and really drop into our hearts, we would realize that that's actually okay. You know, it's okay to have different perspectives. Um, So right now it's been a very interesting few years. You know, there's been just like a lot of tension and chaos and also a lot of focus on, you know, getting authority figures and systems to fix things for us. And the truth is, is that, you know, I see politics as sort of like a dead end because from what I've seen is it doesn't matter who you vote for or what party you stand for, or what person promises to make changes that just never happens, you know, because I, I, I think most people who step into politics, maybe they think they're going to make a difference and they get into the system and they find out they're just, there's a bobblehead, like they're just a placeholder for something that's already running on its own and they they just need a face. That's how I feel. You know, some people might not like that. I think that, or that I say that, but that's what I believe. And so it's not that I don't vote or that I don't, you know, hold positions, but I also, I can find a perspective that, that resonates within most Mm -hmm. different parties or perspectives. You know, I don't hold any one position because I can see where different people are coming from. And I think the most powerful thing that we can do is to work on ourselves and within our communities and in our families and really prioritize that community-based healing and creating these pockets of change within our own little world. Yes. And that ripples out. And it seems like that's the thing that we can do Mm. now, you know? And so I would love to see us go back a little bit toward the community-based practices where, you know, we are more communal, which is what I experience here where I live, where, you know, everybody knows everybody and you, you literally know your neighbors and they know everyone in town and every contractor on the Island has, you know, been to your house before. And, um, you know, you just help each other out and you get your eggs from your neighbor and you bring each other food. And it's just, that to me is that's living life, you know, and that's really getting back to, to nature and and what we're here for. We're meant to be in connection. And so the online world is very distorted. It's true. It's not, it's like oddly connected, but disconnected emotionally, disconnected and 
a great way too. Yeah, it's, it is. And it's, um, it's getting it's, kind of scary to me anyways. I mean, I was, I was watching, I was reading an article the other day about some things that are happening in, in the metaverse. And it really scared me just for our future generations. And I, I'm pretty committed to, you know, when I have children to raising them in a way that they feel really connected to to nature so that um, they don't feel like their world is outside of them so much, because that's really where we're going now, you know, is this, we're creating this virtual world and we're forgetting that we live in the world already. Yeah. That's so good. We're really, we're one generation away from fixing the problems. If everyone raised their children to, you know, look inside themselves, to become the one, to connect with nature, to take care of nature. I think there should be a big emphasis on that. And so you're doing the right thing, girl. Thanks, love. It's been so nice to chat with you. You too. You too. I'm so proud of you. And this book is so cool. I can't wait to read it. Thanks. Yeah. I'm excited for you to get your hands on it. I'll send you a copy and um, yeah, it's really nice to see all of the people they're tagging me with their book and seeing the reviews already come in. And it's just a lot of people are buying this book for their friends and their sisters and their moms. And I'm just like, yes, this is what I wanted. Is it just to feel like something that they want to share, you know? Yeah. Well, I've already got people saying that they should probably read the book Yeah. (laughs) based on like, yeah, I do need to become the one instead of seeking it outside of myself. And I think it's an incredible lesson and I'm really grateful for you. Thanks love. Well, it was great chatting with you and uh, I hope I see you in person sometime time soon. Thanks everybody for listening to the Pretty Intense podcast today. I hope you enjoyed it. If you like what you heard today and you want to hear more, please click on the subscribe button.